Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Today I just want to define faith and why does God require us to have it. Uh, so Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. I want to please God. I hope you do. And I told you three weeks ago, I want you to have a very large reward from Jesus. I want him to be very thankful that you lived instead of ashamed, as he said he would be of some people when he returns. I want you to be richly rewarded and to serve him well and to finish your race well. So we're going to talk about how do we please God? What is, what is real faith? What does that look like? So Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, what it is. It says that it is assurance of the things that we believe to be completely confident of things that we cannot see. The English Standard Version says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In English, when we use the word hope, we usually mean wish, but that is not how God uses the word hope. God uses the word hope as a future expectation. Not a wish for something to come, but a solid expectation that something is coming. So when it says that uh, we are, have assurance of the things we hope for, you cannot have assurance and wishing at the same time. So, uh, so if, if God expects us to be fully assured of what we hoped for, then hope means that we expect it. We are completely assured and we, are, we have conviction about the things we cannot see. The New Living Translation says, Faith is the confidence that we, what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So faith is assurance and conviction about things that we have never seen. You've read the book. I've read the book. You've heard the testimonies. I've heard the testimonies. We haven't seen it come to pass yet. You've never seen God. I haven't seen God. I've met Jesus personally. You have not met Jesus personally. We have not seen these things, and but we believe them. We are confidently assured that there is a heaven, that Jesus is there, and that he is on his way back. If we don't have confident assurance that Jesus is returning, then this whole thing is a charade and a waste of time. It totally is. Paul says if, if Jesus isn't alive and raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else. We are totally wasting our time. We do have confidence, though, that what we hope for, what we expect to happen, is actually going to happen. Right? That every word of the book is true. We have confident assurance. Whoever the author of Hebrews is tells us faith is to be assured and to be convicted, to have solid rock-solid, immovable belief in what we have not yet experienced or seen. So when we say we believe Jesus or we believe in God or we believe the Word of God, that's all true. The word belief is used synonymously with faith in Scripture 240 sometimes each. But in English, the word belief gets dumbed down a lot. Like, oh yeah, sure, I believe in God. But then the person that says that, you know they really don't. Because they're not doing anything with it. Because the word belief, as the Bible uses it, faith and belief require action. You have to include the word action in the definition of faith or it isn't faith. 
and let me explain to you some things in the natural, and hopefully it will make sense in your relationship with God. Some of you who've been around a long time have heard me use these examples before, but a lot of you haven't, so those of you who are old-timers, bear with me here. Faith requires action. Let me explain to you what, what I mean by that in your natural, everyday life. You are actually giants of faith, and you may not even know it. You are monsters of faith. You live in faith all day long in everything you do. You work all month long, and your employer gives you a piece of paper. And you call that a paycheck, but it is exactly, literally the same thing as toilet paper. It is a piece of paper. But you have faith that it has value. And you give it to the bank, and they take a picture of it, and then they destroy it. And now you are just a number in a computer. But you have faith that when you go to the store and swipe a magnetic strip, they will give you stuff. And they have faith that you actually paid for it when you didn't give them any money either. All you did was show them a plastic thing, and they give it to you. Do you we, we operate in faith all day long, all the time. When you came into this building, you didn't come in looking at the roof thinking, oh, I hope it doesn't fall down. No, you just live in faith that, that it won't fall. You just assume faith all day long. How many bridges have you driven over in your life, and maybe it makes you uneasy, but you just assume that you know, the state has some geeky engineer somewhere that's expected, uh, inspected this thing, and, and, and it's not going to fall over, and, and you drive across it without even thinking. You know, if you were to go down this way, down Cove Buchanan Avenue, there's a stop sign down there a half a mile away. You don't start testing your brakes when you're 400 yards out, hoping that, oh, what if they don't work this time? No, you just wait till you get there, and you slam on the brake, and you expect it to work. It's faith. Yeah, we live in faith all day long. We live in faith. And actually, not having faith is weird. If you park your car on the shoulder of the road and you crawl under the bridge to inspect it before you drive over it, you are psycho. If you come in here and you're genuinely, honestly scared the roof might fall in, you have problems. Fear is insanity. Faith is sane. Hello? Faith is sanity. Fear is insanity. People do really, really crazy psychotic things out of fear. And if you are a normal person, you have faith all day long. About every little thing. Those of you who butcher your own animals or you hunt and you process the meat and you put it in a freezer and you put hundreds of dollars in there in faith that OTEC will keep your power on. All of your life and financial records and everything are on a computer that you just have faith that that will work and that you will have electricity to be able to run your life. So you can have faith in OTEC and you can have faith in ODOT and you can have faith in the bankers, but you can't have faith in God? Well, now, I, I don't know about that God thing. You know, what if it doesn't work? What if the bridge falls in? I realize that you may, it, you may be a little uneasy driving across the bridge at Astoria or one of the Tri-Cities bridges. or you know We don't have big bridges around here very often, but you, you know some big high bridge and they do kind of make you uneasy, but you still drive across it because you see that you know all those semis in front of you are making it okay, so maybe I can make it okay too. So feelings do not define our faith, but our action does. 
You hear me? Faith requires action or it isn't faith. You can say, oh, I believe that OTEC has a bridge inspector, but that's not faith unless you actually take action based on his or her, whoever that is, report that, yeah, this bridge is safe. So belief is not the same as faith if by belief you mean I believe it exists. Because faith To be a normal, sane, rational person, you must have faith and you must take action. You have to live your life in peace. That's faith. Can't be scared of everything all the time. When we talk about faith in God, we don't mean we believe in Him. It means that I believe in Him, I am so confidently assured in Him that I live like His Word is true. Even though I don't have to crawl under the bridge and look, I just have faith that the bridge inspector knows what he or she is doing, and I see that lots of other vehicles are driving across it safe, so I take God, I believe in Him, but I also have to believe His, his Word, and I can see that lots of other people are obey him, obeying Him successfully, and so I have to drive across that bridge too. You with me? Use another example. Those of you who... Uh, are not horse people, but you've been on a horse. Whether that excites you, like my daughter Harvestier is already beaming because I said the word horse. (gasps) Horse! Or whether it terrifies you, but you're not a horse owner, a mule packer, but you have been on an animal. How many of us are in that boat? Okay, okay, lots of us. All right, if you have a friend, or, you know, there's people in the church, but... I think they were both here first service at Vic and Danny have horses and mules. And if Vic says, hey, I want to take you up on a ride in the Eagle Caps and let's go down this steep, rocky trail. And I have a horse that has done this a hundred times. She's really solid and confident and bomb proof and she will get you there safely. I know that Vic has been raising horses most of his 80 some years of life. He knows his animals and I can say... Yes, Vic, I believe you, but I'm not going. Or I can say, yes, Vic, I believe you, and get on the horse even though it scares me. Horses don't scare me, but riding down a pack trail in the Eagle Caps is a little spooky. Are you with me? Do you see the difference between belief and faith? And do you see how insulting it would be to Vic or Danny, if you said, I believe you, but I'm not getting on. God, I believe in you, but I'm not taking action on your word because I don't trust you that much. We're defining faith. What is it? It is being confident. It is the assurance of things hoped for. It is being confident of the things we have not yet seen. It is not a passive trust that says, well, we'll just have to wait and see what God does. No, it is taking action based on God's Word. Because we drive across the bridge based on the bridge inspector's Word. We trust the banker when they take our check. How stupid is that? Seriously, you will trust the banker, but you won't trust God? So it's not a passive trust. It is action. Whether that is uh, doing something or surrendering something, either way. Faith is obedience. 
to the Word of God even when I haven't seen how it's going to turn out. That is faith. Faith is not some um, undefined belief. Our faith is not in prophecy or it's not in teaching. Our vision and our goals for life are not faith. What you are passionate about is not your faith. Faith is completely different from caring about something. Uh, praying is not necessarily faith. They're not the same thing. They may, you may do the same. You may pray and have faith together, but, but lots of people pray wishing prayers and throw out these requests to God, but they don't really believe confidently, assuredly that he's going to answer. And our relationship with God is not the same thing as our faith. Uh, we say we use that word relationship a lot. You've heard probably lots of preachers and authors say, th- you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But do you know how many times relationship is in the New Testament? This many. Zero. Christianity is not a relationship, it is a faith. We are told to have faith. We are told to keep the faith. We are told to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Christianity is the faith. And that creates relationship, not the other way around. There are a lot of people who have a very imaginary relationship with God without any faith. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is being assured of what we can't see, having confidence about what is actually going to happen. Faith is normal. Faith is rational. Faith is sane. Not having faith is crazy. Faith is rational and normal. It's every day. God is not requiring something that is counterintuitive. We operate in faith all day long. Every day. So why is faith necessary? Is my next question. What what does faith do for us and God? What does it do? Hebrews, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.8 says this. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We know that we are saved by the grace of God. There is nothing good that we can do to earn God's favor. We cannot be good enough to qualify for heaven. We are saved by the goodwill of God and His love for us and the sacrifice that Jesus paid. But how many sins did Jesus die for? Every single last one of them. How many people did Jesus die for? Every single last one of us. So why isn't everyone not saved and redeemed and, and atoned for? It's because not, the scripture says not all have faith. Look at this. By grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. How does the grace of God get to you? By your faith. And even your own faith, this says, is the gift of God to you. The fact that you responded positively to the gospel is the gift of God. Thank you, God, for turning on my heart. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for finding me. I didn't find Jesus, he found me. Right? But it has to come through faith. We have to say yes to Jesus. We have to actually respond. We have to take action. There has to be an active response to God. God's connection to us is grace. What comes from God to us is grace. What goes from us to God is faith. Those of you who were around many years ago, like six, seven, eight years ago, you will remember a sermon where I had a pump up on the stage and these different sized pieces of pipe. Those of you who are around will remember that. That the grace of God flows 
to us, but we have to have a pipeline for it, and that is faith. Uh, the faith is what everything comes through toward, to, from God to us. We have to, it, it's the power line. You have to plug it in in order for the juice to flow. There ha- everything from God to us comes through faith. And let me show you in Scripture. The next verse is from Romans 3, 22 and 25. This righteousness from God comes through faith. In Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Jesus, again, Jesus died for it, paid for every sin. He paid for every sinner. But not everyone is atoned for because not everyone has faith. So how do we receive salvation? Through faith. That is the pipeline that God pours His grace into to get it to our hearts. That's our connection with God is faith. Everybody has sinned. Everybody's fallen short. But His redemption comes through faith. Anything that we need from God, we have to have faith for. Because it's never a question of what is God able to do. Jesus asked four or five times, it's what do you believe? According to your faith, be it done to you. So let's look at Hebrews eleven thirty three. We're coming into the middle of a sentence, which is why the quote looks a little strange on the screen, but I just want two words out of there. Hebrews eleven thirty three. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. In the previous verses, the author has mentioned David and Samuel and Samson and Jephthah and these heroes of the Old Testament, and then he's listing how they responded in faith to God. And in this list, he says, through faith, they did all these great things, through faith, they obtained promises. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Every promise is true and every promise is for us. How do we get it in our own personal life? Through faith. There's lots of things that are true that we aren't experiencing because we don't believe them. And we aren't living in it. Through faith, we obtain the promises. If you read the Word of God and there's a promise in there that God says, this is who I am, this is how I behave, this is what I will do, say yes. And that promise is yours. Through faith, they obtained promises. Back to Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, says, I want you to have full assurance of hope or expectation. Be fully assured of your expectation until the end. And imitate those, and he's talking about the heroes of the Old Testament. But for us, that would include the apostles of Acts. It would include all 2,000 years of church history. We have lots of heroes of faith. God says, imitate their lives. Imitate them who, through faith and patience, inherited the promises. I don't have time to go into it today because this is seriously like 12 Sundays here. The, the and patience thing is super important, but we're not going to do that today. We cannot dictate to God when he is going to do what he's going to do. We cannot define how he should do what he's going to do, but we can know what he's going to do. 
because he said so. That's faith. The faith and patience thing, that's huge. The and patience thing is huge. Right? Like patience for a lifetime kind of a thing. Okay? All right? But we can know exactly who God is and what he will do because he said so. And God says, imitate the lives of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How did they inherit the promises? Through faith. Through faith. Everything from God to us has to come through faith. It is the pipeline. It is the power line that the grace of God flows through. Here's Matthew 9. I kind of jumped ahead earlier and said it already, but this is Jesus responding to two blind men. The two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. So, it's, like I said, it's never a question of what Jesus can do. It's a, Jesus says uh, four or five times in the Gospels, do, Be it unto you according to your faith. He will do what we believe he will do. You know where he went back to Nazareth and he says he could do no mighty works there because they didn't believe. So it's not a question of what he can do or even what he wants to do. We know because he said, but it's what do you believe I'm able to do? So he tells these guys, according to your faith, let it be to you. So what did they do that was faith? Number one thing, they cried out, help Jesus! That is faith. Turning to Jesus at all for help is faith. As long as he clarifies, do you believe I can do this? Everybody cries out to God in a foxhole. Do you actually believe he can save you? These guys did. He can fix our problem. Crying out to Jesus for mercy is faith. And... They believed that he could fix their problem. Those two things together, that's Jesus' definition of faith. And he says, awesome, great for you. Be it according to your faith. I think, though, let me clarify this, because I think a few of you, your heart skipped when he said, Jesus says, be it unto you according to your faith. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I have that much faith. So, so that's why things aren't happening. Jesus doesn't say anything about an amount of faith. He just says, you have faith. So it's going to happen. Faith is not big or small, weak or strong. You either have it or you don't. Jesus said a mustard seed is all that it takes. It just has to exist. Faith just has to be there. So don't get all afraid like, oh, I have to have big faith and problems in my life are my own fault because I don't have enough faith. It either is or it isn't. When the disciples asked Jesus to increase our faith, He blew off their question and says, just do what I told you. He does. You can go look it up. He says, just consider yourselves unworthy servants and be thankful that I loved you at all. He's like, no, you don't need bigger faith. You just need faith. Come on. Yeah. So don't come under condemnation like, oh, if Jesus expects me to have faith for a miracle and I don't. No, just, we either have faith or we don't. And what is faith? They turned to Jesus and they called out for him for help because they believed he could help them. Come on. So what does this look like? What does faith 
to obtain the promises. I'm talking about our response to God with faith gives us access to His grace. His grace can't come through the vacuum of space. It has to come through our faith into our hearts and our lives. So, so what does that look like in a real person's life? Well, let's look at Abraham. He's called the father of our faith. And let's look at one of the episodes of his life story. In Genesis 17.5, God comes to a man named Abram. And he says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. This man is 90 some years old, I'm rounding a little bit maybe, but 90 some years old and his wife is 80 and she was barren when she was 20 and 30. And God comes and says, I'm changing your name to the father of multitudes is one way you could translate this. The father of many nations. The father of millions of people. The guy is 90. His wife is 80. They have no children. And God changes his name. And for 14 years, Abraham has to go around telling everybody, Hi, I'm the father of many nations. Oh, how many children do you have? None. God made a promise. God made a statement and Abraham he expected Abraham to be fully assured of what he did not see he expects Abraham to take this name even though it is completely ridiculous in the natural and for 10 or 14 years or so Isaac is not born Sarah's continued to be barren in all rationale, in all physical truth, in all biology, it is ludicrous. But what did Abraham do? Romans 4 tells us. There's this lengthy treatise of Paul on the faith of Abraham and why he is our father in the faith. Let's just look at verses 16 to 22. Abraham is the father of us all who have faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. God calls Abraham the father of multitudes before he has a single biological offspring. But God calls those things which are not as though they are. So, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed anyway. Against all hope. Abraham believed anyway. Some of you are facing some situations where there is no hope for your body, for your marriage, for your family, for your finances. You'd have no idea how God is going to work this out. There isn't any way God could work it out. Believe anyway. Believe anyway. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Faith doesn't ignore the physical facts. It doesn't ignore the natural reality of the problem, whatever that may be. Your unsaved kids or your finances or your parents or family brokenness or a big decision, scary thing you've got to face down or whatever the the thing may be, faith doesn't ignore the natural reality of things. It says, Abraham 
faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He's 100 years old now, and Sarah is 90, and they still don't have a child. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was already dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded. There it is again. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That's that's faith. I am fully persuaded. As lunatic as it is, I am fully persuaded. My wife is 90 and she's going to get pregnant. Because God said so. That's faith. Notice, notice, God does not require him to pull a stupid stunt to prove his faith. In fact, when he tried to do something, he really screwed things up. In fact, he screwed up world history from then till now. I mean, he really, really, really blew it when he fathered Ishmael. Some preachers will tell you that you need to prove how big your faith is and they will hype you up and stir you up and try to get you to do something really stupid. God just requires you to say yes. Believe my promises and I will do it. But your part is to be fully persuaded and live like it's true before it happens. I said live like it's true before it happens. One more time, live like it's true before it happens. There we go. Change your name if that's what you have to do. Whatever it is, live like it's true before it happens. So, I know some of you have heard this story before. I hope I don't bore you because you've heard it so many times, but a bunch of you don't know this. So I'm just going to give you uh, an example from my life. Um, Sarah and I were... Married in 98 in Arkansas, and she's from Cove here, and we had planned on living there for the rest of our lives. Uh, we had a rock, awesome, solid church and great friends, and, and we were going to serve the Lord there with them forever. And eight months after we got married, our church, pa- our pastor left the church, things blew up, the manure hit the fan, and people went everywhere, and it was a disaster. We had, because of our commitment to our church, we had taken job situations that were not local. It's too long of a story, but she was driving 60 miles north from home every day, and I was driving 60 miles south, so 240 miles a day commute between the two of us, and and we wouldn't move because we were committed to that church, and then things blew up, and friends were leaving, and and it it was bad. It was ugly. It was very, very hurtful. We told our elders and we told our friends and we told ourselves and we told God we will not leave out of offense. We'll not leave just because everybody else is. We certainly will not leave pouting. The last thing we knew from God is that we were here forever. And um, so we're going to stay. But now we maybe feel like it's not forever. So several months later, at the end of 98, around Christmas, we began to talk about moving to Oregon. We knew that we wanted to live near grandparents for our future kids at one place or another. It was either Missouri or Oregon. I'd always wanted to live in the mountains, so I said, let's, let's move to Oregon. 
We made the decision. We knew it was God and we knew we were in unity. But we didn't have a house or a job. (laughs) I had to quit my job at teaching school. I had to not sign the next year's contract in faith. We had to tell our landlords we're moving out in faith. We had to uh, rent the place in a house in Cove, but it was for sale. It could sell at any moment. Um, You can live there as long as it doesn't sell. So we loaded up in July of 99, we loaded up our rider truck and we took off driving here with no job lined up. And uh, when we were in Wyoming, we got a call and they said, the house is sold. Sorry, you can't move in. They called the next day and said, well, we've rejected that offer. It didn't work out. And so we did actually get to move in the house. But for a day there, it was pretty scary. So for months, as I'm quitting my job and we're packing up and I have nothing lined up out here, we only know that the Lord has told us to move to Oregon. It was terrifying. But this is not a decision where you pray about it and then he's like, well, we'll just wait and see what God does. You pray about it and you take action. You have to. So there are sometimes when all you can do is pray and you just have to wait on God. But that's kind of rare. Most of the time you need to pray and take action. Make a choice and move forward. As you're going, God will steer your car. It's kind of hard for him to steer a parked car, you know. So... That's not my phrase, you know, that you've heard that maybe before. But, okay, so, so we move here and, and nothing happens. I had teaching degree in history and English, and I had done music theater all through high school and college, and I really would like to have coached football. That would be pretty cool. I went to every school in Union Willow County. Nobody's hiring, nobody's hiring, nobody's hiring. Uh, and then in the paper one day, oh, Elgin has an opening for a history and English teacher. Are you kidding me? So I drive to Elgin and I interview and like, well, yeah, it's a it's half English classes and half history classes, and we'd really like somebody to direct a theater. And we have a junior high um, football assistant coach position. Would you like to coach football? You couldn't get a more perfect stamp of me. Even the redneck part of Elgin is me. It's just I, I loved my time in Elgin. God had it all planned out, knowing the end from the beginning. He did not tell us it was terrifying you know back in arkansas i kept the only verse i read for about six months is the verse where god has abraham move he says i'll tell you where you're going when you get there and there's a sentence in there that says and he arrived those three words is what i lived on for six months and he arrived and he arrived okay god okay we'll arrive we'll arrive god had it Cookie cuttered out for me, but he did not tell me ahead of time. He told us nothing other than go. This is what I mean by faith can't just believe. Faith has to take action. We can't just say, yeah, God, I believe you love me and you'll take care of me. It is, I believe so much that I'm going to live like it's true even before I know how it's going to turn out. Because I do know how it's going to turn out. I am fully assured of what I hope for is actually going to happen. So why does God do this to us? Does He delight in torment? Is He, is he a torturer? Is He like putting His thumb on us and saying, okay, let's see how much she can stand until she breaks. Sometimes, some days it feels like that. Does it not? It's safe to admit that. Come on. Yeah, why is it that God is requiring faith? Why doesn't He just tell us the end from the beginning if it's true that He knows it? 
Why doesn't he just tell us? Well, because Peter and James both tell us that our faith is worth more than gold. God is setting you up for eternal riches. And there's nothing greedy about saying that because it isn't money. Whatever it is, remember I told you three weeks ago, Jesus really, really excited to give it to you. Whatever it is, it's valuable to him. So don't confuse earthly value. What, what Jesus is setting us up for what is valuable for him that is worth more than anything we could have in this life. So no matter what we have to pay or what we have to give up, it's worth it. Our faith is worth more than gold. There's way too many scriptures to go into it. But the Bible tells us that we are being qualified, is the Bible word, we are being qualified to inherit the kingdom. We are being tested in the way that Navy SEALs are tested in their training. Remember that one from a few weeks ago or months ago? Okay. We are being tested not because God is a tormenting drill sergeant. It's because He wants us to sit on thrones with Jesus Christ and rule the universe. And you don't just traipse in after you've lived a lazy, easy life and say, Oh, here, God, I'm here to rule the universe. No, you qualify for that or you don't. God is setting you up for success. He is setting you up for eternal reward. He is testing you not to see how much you can take till you break. He is putting you through the fire to purify your heart and make you gold. So we can argue all day about whether God is doing these things or whether He's allowing these things or whether He's using these things. I don't care. I know what I believe and I... I know beliefs are all over the... It doesn't matter. In the end, God is using whatever He's using to make you like Jesus. He's he's using it all to make you like Jesus. And at the end of your story, I said at the end of your story, you will look back and it will all make sense. And God will be perfectly loving and just in everything that He did and everything He didn't do. And everything you faced that now you're whining and complaining or scared of or brokenhearted about, everything you faced, God will make it all right. Everything will be justified. Everything will be set straight. And you will see that God was right in everything that He did. Because we can't have faith unless we need it. I said we can't have faith unless we need it. Because we can talk a really big game. You can come to church and say amen. And you can talk about what a rock stud uh, Christian you are and how great your faith is, but then a bad day comes and you find out maybe I'm not as strong as I thought. There's the freak out, there's the emotional breakdown, there's panic. Jesus, have mercy on me! Well, the good news is that is faith. But we are not nearly as strong as the game we talk. We can talk trash to the devil all day long. But really, the only way to prove your game is to play it. Come on. You can be the mouthy MMA fighter all you want before you get in the ring, but the only way to prove it is to get in the ring. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. The only way to have faith is to need it. God has to put us in these situations. Or allow us or whatever word you want to use. He is outfitting us for eternal reward. He is outfitting us to inherit his kingdom. He is making us like Jesus.
He's not tormenting or playing games. He's not a master of puppets. He isn't creating the tragedies in our life, but he is sure using them to burn out all the garbage in our hearts and the fears and the selfishnesses. And he says, now, here's what I say is true. I say forgiveness is true. Live like it's true before you feel it. Generosity is true. Give the money when you need it. And be fully assured, I will take care of you tomorrow. Healing is true. Believe me, even when you're in pain. Love is true. Believe that I love you, even when you have royally screwed up. Live like I love you, even when you don't feel it. Live like you are my son, like you are my daughter, even when it doesn't look like I'm even there. That's faith. Faith is being confidently assured of what is coming, even before we see it. It is taking bold action to give our money, to fast, to pray, to serve, to forgive, even before the results of any of that is seen. Come on. The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. So let's examine ourselves. Do we have real faith? Are you giving away real money? If you are, that's faith. Because who does that? You need that. Unless you have real faith. No, I don't need it. God will take care of me tomorrow. Who fasts? Unless it's faith. Who, who doesn't eat unless you're sick or fasting? You're stupid. But if you give up something for God that you have not seen, praying for something you're not seeing the answer to, that's faith. Praise God. Some of you give up hours in prayer in the night. Some of you serve when you really don't want to. Some of you give your time and Whatever, in, in other ways. Forgiving, as I said last week, forgiving is giving up justice and revenge now, knowing He will bring it. Everything will be made right. I can give up my hate and my anger for now because He will make it right in the end. That's faith. Because we have no proof that He will make it right in the end other than what He said. We are confidently assured that what He said will actually happen. Bold action to love somebody, to bring the gospel, to, br- to be healed, to bring love, to be generous. That's faith. Not pulling stunts to prove how big our faith is, but in secret, in real love, giving God real faith. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to pray for you. I don't want you to lean on anybody else's faith. We're not going to have an altar call or anything like that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to think of the one or two or three situations where you really need God to come through. It might be your unsaved kids. It might be a family situation, your marriage. It could be finances. It could be healing in your body. 
It could be a decision that you are scared to make. It could be a pain that is in your heart, an unforgiveness that is there, something. Whatever is the big issue in your life right now, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to turn your attention and your heart toward God. And I want you to put your faith in Him. I'm not going to pray out loud. I'm, going to, I'm just going to pray for us and you're going to pray with me. I want you to turn on your faith. We're going to repent for fear. We're going to repent for passive trust Christianity. And we're going to turn to bold action Christianity. We're going to turn our faith on and believe that what God has promised, what His Word says, is actually true. So that I can live like it's true even before it happens. So you have your one or two or three situations that you need God to come through. Again, let me remind you. You cannot dictate how or when he answers this prayer. His solution might not look like what you're expecting, and the timing of it might be longer than you want. But he is faithful, and he will do it. And at the end of your story, you will say with Paul, he delivered me from every trouble. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. We need you. We need your power and your salvation. You know the situations on our heart and our mind already, but we bring them to you now. And we say, Son of David, have mercy on us. We need your salvation. We need your forgiveness. We need your healing. We need your restoration in our families. We need your healing in our bodies. We need salvation for our kids and grandparents and parents and kids. Lord, we need reconciliation in our marriages. We need your direction in our decisions. We need financial rescue, Lord. We need forgiveness in our own heart. Lord, we repent of fear to do the right thing. We repent of waiting to have it all proven before we believe you. Lord, we would never just get out of our car and crawl under the bridge and inspect it ourselves. We would just drive across it. But we then have expected you to prove your word before we believe it. Lord, forgive us for having faith in man's systems, but not in your kingdom. Lord, we decide now as an act of our will, in real faith, we believe your word. We know who you are, what you have said you will do. And we trust you, and we will live like it's true before we see it come to pass. Because we are confidently assured that your word is true. 
So we make decisions based on your promises and not on circumstances. Or we will make our decisions based on your word and not our circumstances. We trust you, Lord. We know that you are our Redeemer, our Savior, our Healer, our Provider, our Shepherd, our King, our Master, our Lord. We trust you. We know you and we know your word. We decide this morning to put aside fear, to put aside passive trust, and to take faith action on what we know you want us to do in our lives. So we forgive in faith and we give in faith and we fast in faith and we pray in faith and we love in faith. And we move and we exist through faith. We obtain your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are faithful. You can move the mountains. We've seen you do it before. We will see you do it again. Great is your faithfulness. The promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, forgive us for accepting situations as just the way things have to be. We will live according to your promises instead of circumstances. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.